Amen. Amen. If you want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Acts 2, verse 14. Reading from the English Standard Version. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, declares the Lord, that I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being there for a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, what we've just read from in that passage there is the consummation, is the beginning point of the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. We're looking back in history to the beginnings of this in which we sit and are part of today. The beginning of the Christian church. You see, the church didn't begin When the church said it begins. The church wasn't begun by men. I want you to see that. The church wasn't begun by the Pope of Rome. The church wasn't begun by the reformers in the 1500s. The church wasn't begun by groups of people coming together to decide to start something. That's often how it's seen today, isn't it? People will say things like, well, Christianity, the church, it was just invented by men to control other men. Have you heard that before? You know, religion's just a control tool. Man came up with it in order to control other people. I hear this all the time from people on social media. I hear it all the time from people on the streets. Well, what you believe is just a tool of control. It was just invented by men. You know how it goes. Constantine and all of that. The Council of Nicaea. They all came together and they cooked up this plan to control mankind. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that the church was started by God. The church of God is not some human institution. I want you to see this. The church of Jesus Christ is supernatural. Supernatural. Started by the Holy Spirit. Initiated on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit fell. And the disciples were filled with imbued with power from on high. So much so that they had tongues of fire. They saw tongues of fire on top of one another's heads. The people all around were asking questions. What's happened to these people? Have they been drinking? And so Peter, as we've read, has to stand up and say, don't be afraid. These people are not drunk as you suppose. The church is not a human institution. The church is a supernatural institution. I want you to see that, brothers and sisters, as we continue in our series, Church Unpacked. We learn about what it means to be a Christian. I want you to understand that you're not just a member of some glorified country club. Being a member of the church of Jesus Christ is not like buying a season ticket for your favorite football club. It's not like signing up to your local neighborhood watch group. It's not like joining your local tennis social team. You're not joining some human institution. It's not just another club that you're a member of. It's not just another thing that you do in your week. You are part of something that is beyond human. You are part of something that goes beyond the natural. You have come into Something called the covenant of God. 
you have become a member of God's family. That's what it means to be a part of the church. It is to be a member of the covenant household of God. I want, I want us all to actually say this right now, because today's sermon, we don't have long, but actually what it's going to do is realign your identity. It's going to tell you something about who you actually are and what it means for you to be a Christian. So I want you to say this with me. I am a member of the covenant people of God. I am a member of the covenant people of God. And we, as Peter said, are a people of promise. Did you read that last few verses there? He said, for this promise, or the promise is for you. Is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. Now here in the 21st century, when we see those words, for, for the promises to you and for, for your children and for all who are far off, we think, oh, wonderful, how poetic. You know, when many of us read the Bible in the King James, I love the King James Version, by the way. It just rolls off the tongue better, doesn't it? These and thou's and all of that. It sounds wonderful. But when we read these words, so often we're like, oh, wonderful, how poetic, what an orator. But actually... Do you know what? Those words meant something to the Jews who heard them. They meant something far deeper than just stylistic speech. It wasn't just that they went, ooh, how wonderful. What Peter was saying there for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, do you know what that is? That's covenantal language. That is the language of the covenant. It's the language of the covenant. Do you know what they would have thought of immediately when they heard that, those Jews? They would have immediately shot back to the passage that David read earlier. They'd have gone, oh yes, Genesis 17, God's covenant with Abraham. These promises are to you and to your offspring. They would have thought, hang on a minute, what God is doing here, what we see in before our eyes, is not something brand new. It's not something alien. It's something connected to what has gone before. It is the next installment of the move of God. You know, so often I think in the UK and the West, we've got this disconnected attitude towards what it means to be a Christian. We've got this disconnected attitude to what it means to be part of the church. You know, I go to church because I believe in Jesus. I go to church because I'm a Christian, because I'm saved. But maybe we don't connect that to all the things that God has done before. We don't feel like we're actually part of what God did way back in Egypt when he delivered his people out of Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea. But what Peter is saying here on Pentecost is, listen, what's happening now by the Holy Spirit, what's actually happening, the inauguration of this new church, this is connected to all that God has done before. This is joined onto it. It's not something separate. It's not something brand new. It's a reestablishment of what has gone before. It's the culmination, the fulfillment of every other covenant that God has made with man before. If there's one thing I want you to go away with today, it's an understanding of your spiritual heritage in the things of God. 
I want you to understand today that if you're a Christian in this room, if you're a believer in Christ, you are uniquely connected to the people of Israel. You are uniquely connected to every person who God made a covenant with in the Old Testament. I want us to stop drawing a thick marker line between the Old Testament and the New. So many of us do that, but they're, they're connected. That's what Peter wants us to say. God deals in covenants, and those covenants are connected. If you want to understand the Bible today, how many of you want to understand your Bible better? As you grow in Christ, I want to understand my Bible better. Well, covenant is the language of Scripture. Covenant is the language of Scripture. If you understand what covenant is all about, you will understand your Bible better because God is a God of covenant. God is a God of covenant. And as we'll see today, God has actually made seven covenants with mankind. Garth smiling because he knows what that number seven means. How many of you understand what that number seven means? Completion. Perfection. God made seven covenants with man in the scriptures. The first covenant he made was way back in Eden. So since the dawn of humanity, God has had covenants with mankind. There's no other God like Yahweh. Amen? There's no other God like Jehovah. There's no other God you'll find who makes covenants with men. Who comes and makes an agreement with men. You know, sometimes I think we, can, we use this language and it's a bit christian easy, isn't it? Like covenants and things like that. Who says that these days? But let me explain to you. How many of you have a mortgage? You put your hand up if you've got a mortgage, yeah? You have a covenant. That's a covenant that you've got with your bank whereby they have agreed to give you a certain amount of money. You've agreed to pay back that loan over a certain period of time. There's promises on both sides. That's what a covenant is. If you're married today, that's a covenant. That's a covenant. You made promises to one another in front of a congregation of people, both made promises to hold to this thing, and it's been witnessed. And if one of them breaks that, you're a covenant breaker. And therefore, the promises of that covenant are broken too. That's what a covenant is. Sorry, it's got a bit serious there. But essentially, that's what a covenant is, just to kind of demystify the biblical language of it. And God has had covenants with people ever since the dawn of creation. Ever since the dawn of creation. And the first covenant God made was with Adam. How many of you know what the word Adam means? Man, yeah, mankind. Adam literally in Hebrew just means man, mankind. So God has had a covenant with mankind. So no matter what those people out there on the streets who you talk to each week, no, no matter what they may believe about themselves, no matter whether they're particularly religious, no matter whether they think that Christianity is all bunk or whether they think it's true, it doesn't matter. If they're human, if they're a person, that means they had a covenant with God. Sadly, as we'll see here, that covenant was broken. It was broken by our father, according to the flesh, Adam. Because God made a covenant with Adam. I don't know if you realize that. But in Genesis 2, he speaks to Adam, doesn't he? And he says, I want you to till the land. I want you to take care of this creation. I'm paraphrasing here, but I want you to take care of what I've created. He also tells him, listen, cultivate the land in Eden. I want you to cultivate the land. And what were the promises of that covenant? Well, 
How many of you understand that if Adam had kept that covenant, he'd still be alive today? He'd still be alive today. Because death came with the breaking of that covenant, didn't it? Because what did God say? Eat from any tree you like. Eat from the fruit of any tree in this garden, in Genesis 3. Eat from any of it, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you what? Lest you die. Molt in the Hebrew. Lest you die. And so when Eve gave that fruit to Adam and Adam ate, it was at that moment that the covenant he made with Yahweh was broken and the curses. Every covenant has both blessings on one side and curses on another. Did you know that? Every covenant God makes in the Bible has blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. When Adam ate that fruit, the curse of the breaking of the covenant came upon him, which was, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. Now, what I want to see, what I want you to see this morning, I'm going to say something that might bend your head a little bit, but often when we think about the new covenant and the old covenant, what are we really talking about? When we think about the new covenant, most of us think, or the covenant of grace, let's say. When we think about the covenant of grace, what do most of us think? We think New Testament, right? Covenant of grace, New Testament. Jesus, all the things about him. And when we think about the covenant of works, what do we think about? Old Testament, right? The law, the, the things that happen with Abraham, etc., etc. What I want to say today is I, I want to just shift your perspective a little bit on this. Because when Adam broke that covenant, when Adam ate the fruit and disobeyed God and actually obeyed Satan in that garden, what were the curses of breaking the covenant? You shall surely die. Immediately. Right now. Did Adam die? No, not immediately. Did Adam deserve a second bite at the cherry? Did humanity deserve a fresh covenant with God? God was under no obligations at all to make a fresh covenant with Adam. God was under no obligations to preserve Adam's life. What does this sound like to you? What does this sound like to you? That sounds like grace to me. That sounds like unmerited favor to me. That God came back to Adam and Eve and he promised them, you know, one day, one of your seed, singular, is going to crush the head of the serpent. God made a second covenant with Adam in the garden. He made a second covenant with Adam and Eve. They never deserved it. That's when the covenant of grace began. Every other covenant moving forward from that first one with Adam is actually a covenant of grace, not a covenant of works. So grace is right through the Old Testament as well as the New. How many of you understand that you're here today, you're saved today by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? There's nobody who's a Christian on the basis of their works. If it was down to works, there would be no human on this planet right now. We exist and draw breath today solely because of God's love and God's grace. Isn't that wonderful? 
So God made a second covenant with Adam. One day, someone was going to come from their line who was going to crush Satan. God reestablished that covenant with Noah. He reestablished the same covenant he made with Adam with Noah. He preserved him through the waters of the flood on the ark. And it was from Noah's line that God promised that that seed would come. God then made a covenant with Abraham. He called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees, modern day Iraq. And he promised Abraham, who was 99 years old, that he'd give him offspring, numerous offspring, as many as the stars in the sky. And he promised him that he would give him a land as well, the land of Canaan. And we, t- we read that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. When God delivered the people out of Egypt, do you know what it was? It was actually that God remembered his covenant with Abraham. God was thinking back to his covenant with Abraham. You see, God is a God of covenant. He's a God of covenant. You can't just have a relationship with God outside a covenant. Let me give you an example of how this works, right? Let's say, for example, let's say, for example, that somehow I managed to make contact with Bill Gates. He's got an enormous amount of money. And let's say that I managed to get hold of Bill's email. And I say, listen, Bill, a little bit harder for cash at the moment, cost of living, etc. Now, when you pop your clogs, please can you make me sole recipient of your money? I'd really appreciate that. Thanks. See you later. Do any of you actually think there's a good chance of me receiving Bill Gates' will? Be the sole benefactor. Well, no. There's little chance, if, if any, that I'm going to be able to get that inheritance from Bill because I don't have a covenant with him. He doesn't know me. He's made no agreement with me. He's not under any obligation to give me anything. But see, if I were written into Bill Gates' will and he passed away and I was, my name was written in there as the sole benefactor, you know what, it wouldn't matter how he felt about me on the day he passed away. It wouldn't matter how I felt about him on the day he passed away. I would receive that money. I want you to understand the only way you have relationship with God in this world is on his terms and on the basis of a covenant. You cannot approach God on your own means. You can't say, God, I'll worship you as long as X, Y, Z. Right? You come to him on the basis of covenant. He deals in covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God. So he makes a covenant with Moses, and he delivers his people out of Egypt. And of course, in the Mosaic covenant, he gives the law. He gives the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. He gives the people the law to set them apart from the nations. Now, as we know, how many people are going to be justified by the law? How many actually get saved by the law? Go off. Zero. Zero. No one gets saved on the basis of works. However, I want you to, say, I want you to be able to say something about the law, that it was good. This was a good covenant. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says, listen, The people of Israel were blessed because they received God's word. God's covenant people understood what pleased God and what displeased him. You know, that's a blessing in life. 
Think about it in terms of your relationships. Think about the person that you love the most in this world. How important it is to you that you know what pleases them. It's important, isn't it? It matters to you what preferences that person has. It's important to know what they like and what they don't like. And then you want to do the things that please them and you want to stop doing the things that displease them because you love them. And God, out of his love, gave his people information about what pleased him and what displeased him. Now, I say that is gracious and that's loving. And I love the law of God. I can't be saved through it, nor can you. But listen, you shouldn't ignore it either. It's actually beautiful. It's actually something that we should look to and and enjoy reading. God then makes a covenant with David. I know I'm zipping through these, but we'll unpack these in future weeks. God makes a covenant with David to establish his throne and that one of his descendants will build a house for God, will build a house for God, and that his throne will be established forever. Now with this covenant, we know that it was in part fulfilled by his son, Solomon, who built the temple. But did Solomon reign forever? Did David's natural line on the throne reign forever? No. This spoke of Jesus, who would build a house. What's the house of God that Jesus builds? It's this. And it's what's happening all over the world right now. The church. The church. So Jesus is the one who is going to come and build a house. Jesus is the fulfillment of this covenant. And then finally, we have the arrival of Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want to say to you this morning that the new covenant that Jesus has established for us by coming, by shedding his blood on the cross, by giving his body for you and I, is absolutely connected. It's the fulfillment, not just of the Mosaic covenant, not just of the law. I think often we think like that, don't we? We think Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, and therefore we're saved. It goes way further than that, way deeper than that. Jesus fulfilled every former covenant that God ever made with man. And if I can say it, you know what Jesus did? You know how they they call him the second Adam? Have you ever heard that before? They call him the second Adam. The reason for that is that Jesus didn't just fulfill the Mosaic covenant. He didn't just come and fulfill the law. Neither did he just fulfill the Davidic covenant in being the promised king from David's line. Neither did he just fulfill Abraham's covenant of being a righteous one through faith. He went right back into that very first covenant that God made with man. Do you remember that? The covenant of works. The covenant of works. Do this and you should be blessed. But do that and you should be cursed. It was a covenant of works, a covenant of behavior, a covenant covenant of performance. Jesus fulfilled that first covenant. The covenant of works. Right back then in the Garden of Eden, Jesus even fulfilled that covenant. Now, if you remember, what were the blessings of that very first covenant, brothers and sisters? Eternal life. Eternal life. What else? What did Adam and Eve do in the cool of the day? They walked with God. 
They walked in unbroken fellowship, in intimacy with God. Jesus fulfilled the covenant of works. And if I can say it without you stoning me as a heretic, you're saved today by works. You're saved today by works, but not your own works. You're saved by the works of this one man, Jesus Christ, who has gone back and has done what the first Adam failed to do. He's made it right. And in so doing, he's made a way for you today to have what was promised to Adam and Eve right at the dawn of time, eternal life and fellowship with God. Being a Christian is not just about going to church. Being a Christian is not some thing that we do here in the West. Being a Christian is being marked and set apart from all of the nations and cultures of this world. It's being set apart to intimacy with God. It's being set apart to fellowship with the Almighty. And as Peter said, he's put a sign and a seal on each one of you. To you, it's been given the promises of God. But guess what that seal is? The Bible tells us it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. That is the intimacy that we have with God today. He walks with us by His Holy Spirit. If you're a believer today, that means that you're not separated from God dependent on whether you have a good day or a bad day. You're not separated from God by anybody else's opinion of you. You're not separated from God by your mindset because the Holy Spirit is literally in you. First Colossians, Colossians 1.27. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Stand with me. Stand with me. You know, today, I want you to understand that you have been set apart. That you have been set apart How many of you have put your faith in Jesus Christ? How many of you can say today, I am a Christian? Then you today stand in perfect relationship with God. If your faith today is in Jesus Christ, in His work on your behalf, not on you being a good person, not on you being a good Christian even, but simply, I look to Christ as my Savior, then you have unbroken fellowship with God. You have perfect intimacy with Him. You have access to God as your Father today. This is the greatest revelation of this new covenant, is adoption. You're adopted into his family. You've been made his child. His love is poured out for you in the Holy Spirit. And he's set you apart. Not to be like the world. Not to behave like every other nation behaves. Not to be captive to the same things that the world is captive to. But to be free. To be free. That's what the book of Galatians says. And what the book of John says. For freedom you have been made free. Christ says this. If you're a Christian today, you have fellowship with the Almighty and you have been set apart. There's a mark upon you that distinguishes you from the rest of the world. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. That is God's touch on your life to set you apart. And I want to say this. Stop living like the world. If you've been set apart, Let's stop trying to be part of something that we've been taken out of. 
it's easy, isn't it, to slip back into that way of living where we want to fit in. We want people to like us. We don't want to be looked upon as weird. But listen, if you're a Christian today, God's taken you out of that. He's given you his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit works in power in your life. And he enables you to walk in the way that Jesus walked. That walk of self-denial, that taking up of the cross, that denial of living like the world, of wanting the things of the world, of needing approval. Jesus has broken that chain of approval addiction in your life, of the need to be affirmed by the world and called wonderful and celebrated by people who are going to go to hell. Don't live for the world. Don't live for the approval of mankind. That's what the Israelites did all through the Old Testament. They broke the covenant time and time and time again. Why? Because they wanted approval from the nations around them. They wanted to be worshipped. They wanted to be liked. Don't live like that. The same seal that was upon them in circumcision is upon you in baptism. The same seal and set-apartness that was on God's people in the Old Testament is upon you by the Holy Spirit. I want you to put your hands out. Now, I just want to ask, actually, you know, if there's, if there's somebody here today who knows, you know, I need, to, I need to make a change. I need to make a change. I've been adding church to my life as if it was just another part of who I am. Or I've been adding Jesus as a little appetizer on the side of who I really want to be. But you know today that I need to give him my all. Enough is enough. I'm going to stop living this way, giving half my energies to the world and half my energies to Christ. Just put your hands out in front of you right now. And we just re-consecrate ourselves to the Lord right now. And we ask the Holy Spirit to come afresh in power today. And that you might receive a fresh touch from him. As the word says, don't just be filled once. Don't just be filled once. The Christian life is a life of being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So be filled right now. Be filled. Be filled. Receive a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit today. Poured out. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over into your life. May the love of God become such a tangible revelation to you right now that as you stand there, there's one thing that you know and you know better than anything else and that thing is that you're loved. That you've been set apart. That God has placed his favor upon you. And you know what? doesn't matter how many people reject me. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of me because if God loves me, nothing else matters. I don't care what the world says about me because Christ gave his life for me. Nothing speaks a better word than the blood of Jesus over your life today. You are a member of his covenant people. And no matter how you feel about God today, no matter how hot or cold your Christian life is at the moment, if you have a covenant with God by faith, that's unshakable. That's unshakable. That can't be shaken. All of the promises of the Old Testament are yours. They're in your inheritance. The favor of God, the love of God are given to you in Christ. You just need to take a moment here on your own with the Lord and just speak to Him. Confess to Him 
that area of your life where maybe you've been living a dual life. You don't need to speak it out, but you can confess that to him in your heart right now. And just ask, Lord, would you give me fresh illumination, a fresh understanding of what it means to be born again today, what it means to be part of your covenant family. Pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.